Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, that was a crazy night of sports. RSL in the rain and the wind somehow finding a way to get the victory. And beat Houston 2-1 to and move into fifth place in the Western Conference. The Dodgers, they continue to hunt the Giants. An easy 9-0 win and the Giants losing 12 to the Mets. The Mets owner... Ripping the team, undisciplined. Hard to believe professional players can hit like this. And the Giants end up getting a 6-2 win. Now, I've read some game stories, and uh, Kevin Pillar wins it with a three-run homer in the 12th. But is your offense really – I mean, Steve Cohen tweets this out, so now i got owners tweeting stuff out, calling out their teams. But they only had two runs. I mean, now they blow open the 12th and they win. So I guess, you know, all's well that ends well. But it's not like they went off. They had two runs and that got them to extra innings. So they get to the 12th and then they win. They beat the Giants. So the Dodgers, only three games back of the Giants. And the team that loses suddenly are in a wild card game. Right now it's the Padres, but they got a ton of pitching injuries and they're sliding and they lost to the Rockies. They went 1-5 playing Arizona and Colorado, who are, you know, Colorado's was 14 games under 500 when that series started. Now they won all three. Arizona's 41 games under, and the Padres won one game. So they're kind of sliding. But, hey, if they get some pitching healthy, they got six weeks to get – five, six weeks to get guys healthy. You know, in a one-game thing, that, that's scary. That's – Giants and Dodgers had a great season. Whoever's in that wild card – and they're going to be nervous. Now they may win it in advance, and, heck, they could win it all. Teams won it all from the wild card, so it can happen, but – I don't think you want to be in there. You don't want any part of that. And then some NBA news, the um, podcast. Everybody's in the media these days. So uh, Kevin Durant uh, does a podcast with Draymond Green, and they decide to agree that the reason Durant left is because the Warriors coach and management, coach and GM, uh, mishandled their reaction to those two's argument. Now, those two having an argument, that's fine. The fact that they didn't settle it with the team themselves, that it kind of lingered, that's on the coach and the GM. And I suppose you're responsible for everything when you're coaching GM, so sure it is, but isn't it easier for someone else to say other than the two guys who, you know, could have fixed it themselves or could have not started it in the first place? How convenient. How convenient. All right, that's just some of what's going on in the world of sports. Uh, we have more stuff to get to. We are getting closer to the start of college football. The Utes and Weber State play two weeks from tonight. And uh, it is time now to hear from the Utes. Safety Cole Bishop starts us off as Morgan Scally puts together a secondary with the help of Sharif Shah. Morgan, the defensive coordinator, we'll hear from him in a moment. But first, here's Cole Bishop. You know, it seems to be four guys for two spots and you're in the mix you know what do you think has to happen here throughout the rest of camp for you to grab one of those spots i think right now i'm just trying to work my hardest whether i mean whether that's if i'm starting or on scout team or second string i just really want to help the team as best as i can what's the adjustment like coming from high school to here how difficult has it been for you well, coming in in the spring really helped me get adjusted to things. I mean, whenever I first got here, everyone was bigger, faster, stronger, like you, everyone knows. And then defense was a little bit more complicated than high school, obviously. So then coming into the fall, I was a little bit more prepared, but it's still a lot different. So how much expectation did you have as far as playing time immediately as a freshman? 
Well, I had hopes that I'd get a good chance to play because, I mean, I knew Nate Ritchie was going on his mission and everything, so I had a lot of hopes to get some playing time, and I'm just trying to compete and help in whatever way I can. So how much did Ritchie's decision to go on a mission factor in your decision to come to here? Not much. I mean, it just it was good to know that I'd have an opportunity to play. I mean, I was coming for Coach Scally, whether that's if I'm playing as a freshman or a senior. I mean, I just wanted to get developed as a player. How about the fact that they traditionally play, oh, guys who start multiple years defensive backfield in Utah end up going to the NFL? It's pretty awesome. I mean, you can see from the statistics however many safeties in the past few years have gotten drafted, and that's just awesome. I mean, Coach Galley's development and the rest of the coaching staff's development of a player, even in as a man, it's really a big reason why people come here. How much did you know about the Utah program because you're coming from the other side of the country? Before I got offered, nothing. I had no idea about anything. And then once I got offered, I started looking into it, did some research, looked at all this. I mean, they'd send you graphics and stuff. I didn't get the chance to see it all in person, but just seeing the statistics of the people getting drafted and developed and Utah's statistics as a defensive pole and the rankings. It was just awesome to see. Were you surprised yourself that you ended up choosing Utah? Honestly, yes, because it was just so, my family was like, it was just so random. I mean, coming from Georgia, going all the way to Utah, just spontaneous. How about coaches and friends? Did they think you were nuts? Sorry, what? Coaches and friends, did they think you were nuts coming from all the way from Georgia? My friends were a little surprised whenever I whenever I first started talking to them. I didn't, like I said, I didn't know much about Utah football. And one of my high school coaches was like, that's a really good defensive school. Like, you should really consider it. So then started looking into it more than I was and then really helped me out. So did anybody uh, help you as far as beyond your coach and your interest in Scally and your research? Any Anybody else get, have any factor in playing and deciding to come here? So obviously the Utah coaches and my mom and dad and brother really helped me just make my decision. I was worried about leaving so far from home, and they were really supportive of it. My high school coaches, my safety coach in high school, he coached at a pretty high-level high school that produced a lot of Division One talent, so he really helped me through the process, just learning things. And one of my trainers, Tristan Davis, he really helped me too because he played college football, so he was saying, he explained that no matter where you go in the country, you're not going to get to go home that much anyway, so... Yeah, you used to it. How much of it was adjustment just personally when you first got here last year? Well, it was it was hard at first in January whenever I got here because I didn't really know too many people. And then once we started more instead of just like the workouts because you don't really get to talk to people that much. But once you're here more often, I mean, everyone here is a family. You can everyone sits together. I mean, there's no people that think they're better than anyone else. Everyone's a brother. What do they tell you as far as playing time here this season now? Are you asking about my recruitment? No, for now, now that you've been, you had this spring, you've got training camp, you guys, what, a couple weeks now, mm-hmm. uh, sort of halfway through the training camp. Do you have any idea how much you'll get out on the field now is what I'm saying? We still got a lot of, not a ton of time, but we still got time before the game. I mean, me, a few of the other guys, we're all competing for the other safety spot. I mean, Vontae's there right now doing a great job. So everyone's just competing to try to do their best. How much do you feel like you have the scheme as far as being able to understand and not being overwhelmed? Like I said earlier, coming in the spring really helped me. I'm still young trying to get the experience of just route combinations and things like that, trying to get used to it, watching film as much as I can. Just getting used to it. You're aware Pac-12 has a reputation for putting a lot of receivers into the NFL. Yes, I was. One of my uh, good buddies in high school was a big Pac-12 fan, and he really told me that there was, the Pac-12 is known for airing the ball out a good bit. That's really cool to think about. There's Cole Bishop. Now, here's Utah defensive coordinator Morgan Scally. I wanted to get your thoughts on passing of John Pease. I know he was a mentor and a friend to you. Just, you know, reaction when you did that news. 
Man, that was tough. Um, amazing man. He's the Utah man. That's the guy right there. Uh, amazing mentor to me. I take a lot of my coaching style from John. He's a very... Uh, when you talk about a player-oriented coach, it was all about the player. Very humble. Never took credit for anything. Um, I love him. I love Chris, his wife, uh, and his family. And uh, just can't say enough good things about him. I love that. Love that dude. Anything specific that stands out to you when you were a young assistant coming up, trying to learn from him, who obviously had a lot of experience? Just his his demeanor and his calm on game day. You know, he, he was a master at just ignoring the big play against you, right? And just the, the next play mentality. Um, he was just nails up there in the booth. You know, nothing phased him. And uh, I love that about him. Um, his calm with the players during on game day, right? And so, again, just so much. I'd, I'd spend hours sitting here talking about him, but... Um, Love that family and my best to Chris and, and his entire family. What was your reaction when you heard the news? Uh, it was a tough one. I heard it right before practice and, uh, you know, took some time. Obviously, you know, you have to focus on the players uh, at that point. But afterwards, you know, we spent a lot of time in the defensive staff room just talking about memories. Memories about John Pease for, you know, the funny stuff. The He, he was always a guy that provided the laugh uh, I can remember you know being on a coach's retreat snowbird early in the morning 6 a.m. and we're going over he's on the board writing stuff down and all of a sudden you hear this this loud squealing from outside and he stops mid-sentence and turns and says well it's either really really good or really really bad <laughs> He just, he provided the laugh. You know, he was, um, again, uh, a guy that taught me so much about preparation, about how to handle, you know, game day issues, and, and he was just the best. Well, obviously with this, this defense, they, they were a little inexperienced last year. You didn't have a lot of preparation for them. They still managed to do well. What, what are you seeing this year that's maybe different now that they've had that preparation and that opportunity in the spring? Well, what you're doing is you're, you're not relying so much upon um, first day install, right? This is stuff that they know now, and now it's about disguising. It's about taking advantage of what you know about an offensive tendencies. When, when, when you're young, it's all about getting lined up correctly. It's alignment assignment football. And now with, with the vets that we have, now we're still young. We're still young in the secondary at least. Um, and young in a lot of different ways. We're young in the sense that we... We haven't even played in front of a crowd, you know, with some of these guys. So they're not used to the ebb and flow of the of the the good things that happen in a game and drawing off of a crowd and or you know get, getting booed by the opponent opposing crowd or the opposing crowd going nuts if you give up a play. So there's a lot that they have yet to experience, and uh, you know that's something that you can't really duplicate or replicate for and prepare them for until they they experience it first. Of you mentioned that young secondary. You lose. Uh, Nate Ritchie, you lose RJ Huber to an injury, got that other safety spot open. How's that, that battle coming along? It's great. You know, the addition of uh, McKinney, uh, Brandon's done a great job. He was coached up well at the University of Washington. 
you, you look at the strides that both Cole Bishop and Kamo Ilatu have made. Vontae Davis is a seasoned vet back there. Uh, you know, Darian Stewart at the free safety spot is, is making some good strides. So we feel like we've got the depth at that position. And then at the, at the corner spot, those guys have all come back. You know, Elisha Lloyd really is the only brand new addition that you have to the secondary there. So Jatravis Broughton, um, you know, and again, with Clark and with Kane and some of these guys that just haven't experienced that game day reaction to the crowd, that they're the ones that are going to have to get that experience. What Brandon brought to the room in terms of his leadership? He, he, he's obviously played in a bunch of games, played in a Rose Bowl. What has he brought to the room? Well, like I said, he was coached well. He was coached well at the University of Washington. He knows how to prepare, uh, very mature about, you know, studying film and mature also about coming in and kind of, you know, letting the guys get a, a feel for him before, you know, trying to assert himself. He is a leader, but he's also had to, you know, take some time to gain the trust of the guys in the room. He's done that. Very smart, heady football player that can play both the free and the strong. That helps sometimes, um, you know, with with newcomers it's either okay we got to lock him in at the free spot or the strong safety spot he's a guy that athletically and mentally can handle both so that's huge for us how's that spot coming along opposite of the uh, really good. You know, again, uh, Van Fillinger and Xavier Carlton. You've got uh, Jonah Ellis, who's in there as well, that, you know, we're kind of tinkering with at the stud spot, at the end spot. Um, so we've definitely got guys that are no longer first-year guys that we're dealing with. Um, and they've got different skill sets. Mika's a little bit more explosive off the edge, but, you know, both Van and X use their length to their advantage. Uh, Long-levered guys that, that do a great job with technique. So uh, we're excited for that group, and I know I haven't listed everybody, but we feel we feel pretty good about that position. What does the uh, Calvert brothers bring to you, uh, bring to you, Ethan and Josh? Well, two different, two different. You know, one's a transfer from Washington, who again a lot, a lot like Brandon, very good coaching. You know, you can tell early on he he understood concepts. Uh, Ethan is a heck of an athlete, freshman. Uh, he is a quick learner. He, he was coached well in high school. Both of them tough as nails and uh, very humble, quiet. You know, that's something that we got to get out of them. You know, you can be quiet, in, you know, in the locker room and in the, in the film room, but dang it, you better speak up out here. Got to be able to communicate. So both of them have a, a great skill set, and uh, we're, we're happy to have them a part of the program. Kyle said the offense won on Saturday. What, what do you feel like? I mean, obviously had some ones held out, but what do you feel like your, your defense needs to do to and maybe step up their game, or was that honestly just the offense just having a great day? Oh, okay, you're talking about the scrimmage? Yeah, yeah, Gotcha. Oh, well, you know, uh, situational work, right? And so um, red zone was not, in my opinion, a positive for us. You know, the red zone work, two-minute work, uh, understanding, you know, depth changes, right? It, every game is, is made up of different situations and understanding how an offense may change depending on that situation. Uh, too many you know, uh, unforced errors, giving them first downs off, jumping off sides, um, you know, just not understanding the situation. So really it's the situational work, you know, that, that we really got to be able to tie things down and, and, and understand in each of these situations, what are we thinking about? Paul says he's seen some aspects of the 2019 team in this team. From a defensive perspective, do you see that? Uh, I definitely see it in the leadership. I definitely see it in the front seven. 
the secondary is still untested. And so that's kind of the question mark right there. I mean, you're talking about a pretty darn good secondary with, with Blackman and Burgess and Jalen Johnson. So these guys haven't really proven uh, anything yet other than they're, they're, they're willing and they're athletic enough. We're, we're excited about them. But again, you know, they're still untested. Morgan, is RJ out for the season or is there some chance that he could be able to play later? I never say never, you know, it, just because you know, the situation we're, we're in with uh, the red shirt changing and you have four games and this and that, you just never know. And how guys progress with their injuries, they give you a, a diagnosis, but some sometimes kids' bodies start feeling better. And Anyway, he's doing the best he can in terms of getting getting back to it. So, coaches really love their phrases a lot of times, right? Are there any from John Pease that you remember that you still kind of hold on to, still kind of uh, give to players? My embarrassment. My embarrassment, you know, if, if he if he did something, called something that we didn't have in a package, or he screwed the deal up, he, my embarrassment. That's my embarrassment. Instead of my bad, he hated my bad, but my embarrassment was okay for him. <laughs> Is that and one it, that you use now? I say that all the time. You bet. What about the uh, four and a score? Four and a score, we still use it. Yeah. Four and a score, we still use it. And you know, huge credit to John for what we've done in the past. I think it's the past six years, we're number one in the country in takeaways per game. Uh, and, and that, you know, started really, you know, it was always a focus under Kyle, but to, to term it and to, and to really focus on it and work after it, I, you know, a lot of credit goes to John. For those that might not know what it means, what is four and a score? Four and a score. Four takeaways and a score. And you'll win 99% of the time. There's Utah defensive coordinator Morgan Scally. All right, when we take a, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to hear from Marino Mahi, former Brighton Bengal star player, uh, had a huge rep. If you were around in that area, in that era, my gosh, he was he was a highlight film, and he was so quotable and so comfortable with the media. How much money would he have made off name, image, and likeness? My gosh, we'll run that by him. Uh, obviously, he went to BYU, and uh, and then on to the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL. We'll talk with Reno. He's got jokes as always. Jokes about uh, why he's not at BYU. Jokes about why he played at BYU both times he had to make a decision. Reno Mai, coming up. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. We're joined now by Reno Mai, former BYU star and Philadelphia Eagles player. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Reno, good morning. Good morning. How goes it? It goes well. We have many things to talk to you about, but uh, your name has come up a few times here as this whole name, image, and likeness thing is broken. We'll, and we'll get into some of the how it might help local schools with local players. And You were a high-profile local player, and you were a very good college player, and you had a ton of charisma, and you loved being in front of the camera. We kind of identified you as a guy who could have really crushed it if name, image, and likeness had come along a quarter of a century earlier. Any regrets? Feel like you missed out? You feel like, why did the NCAA finally get their act together now? Where were they when I needed them? 
Oh, no, I totally used the NIL back when I was playing. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Statute of limitations is up, do tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a full right scholarship to school. I didn't have to pay for school. <laughs> But you know, a guy, a kid like you would have cashed in. Yeah, wouldn't you? You would have been able to cash in. I mean, you're the best high school player I've ever seen, and I've worked in three states. I mean, your feet over there at Brighton were unbelievable, and no, no one ever got a clean shot at you ever for although the entire time. I mean, I saw so many of your games because I live in the area, and you know, you you did have just an an awesome amount of personality to go with it too. You've already displayed that. Uh, do you do you think it's the, something that high school kids can begin developing and carry it on into college, especially if they stay local? Yeah, absolutely. I I've, when when I saw it coming, like maybe about the last year or so, when things were coming out about it, I thought BYU would benefit the most from this, in, in the sense that the local kids, the all the BYU business owners in the valley and. Um, just the global brand of um, BYU. And so these kids, if they start growing their social media presence now and start, um, you know, getting their name recognition out there, they could do very well for themselves. You know, I, I could see schools offering something, you know, like there's all these different um, businesses that are, are going to hire you when you come to our school. And I think that's something BYU will be able to, you know, within the rules. That's the hard part is I don't know exactly how the rules are playing out, but you can see what happened with Bill Bill Barr and all these different things coming on that, like, I think BYU is going to benefit greatly from it, and it, which all these other – and it's just awesome to see these kids getting what they deserve, and um, I'm excited for these kids. So do you think it will be enough that – some of the high-profile, not all, but some of the high-profile local kids who've been leaving to go to Oregon and Stanford and USC and, and wherever else will stay put, or will they continue to leave for high-profile programs and maybe it'll impact the next year of kids? It's, it's all money. It's all money. If the Utah boosters, the BYU boosters, if they all step up, they'll start keeping these kids home. I, I, and, and here's the hard part, and I, I know these parents – have this feeling about getting their kids out there at all these other schools. The reality is the majority of these kids, they move back to Utah. And so you see all these, so many of these kids that leave, they move back to this state. I mean, Utah's a great state. And look at it. We're in a drought. We need rain. All these crazy Mormons pray for rain, and we get rain. Like, it's (laughs) awesome. But Utah is a great state, and these kids need to start staying home whether it's at BYU, Utah, and it, to me it's going to come down to these BYU businesses, Utah businesses, they're, um, all the different boosters. Like, let's do a good job of keeping our kids home. Why did you stay home? Because you probably could have gone to many different places. So my first go-around was my mom. She, she made me go to BYU. I didn't really care for BYU. And so, <laughs> but... I'm talking. If my mom tells me to do something, you're going to do it. Right? <laughs> and then, um, and that's the hard part I have with some of these parents. So many parents, I'm like, dude, tell your kid to stay here. Oh, it's up to my kids. Like, it's up to your kid. 
Like your kid probably you you probably still have to tell your kid to take a shower after practice, and you're you're making him do these kind of life decisions. Like some of these parents just need to make their kids stay in the state. Um, as far as the second go around, Norm was trying to get me to go to USC. It that was my wife's fault. Um, <laughs> I I wanted to marry Sunny, so I had to stay at BYU and stay here with her. <laughs> You're going to get any blowback from this, Reno, or are you going to be able to weather this storm you're creating? <laughs> what storm is that? Oh, <laughs> uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so how dialed in are you to the team right now, or are you kind of keeping it at arm's length this time of year? No, it's COVID. i got to stay as far as away. I don't want to get nobody sick, and I don't want them blaming me for anything. So I keep my distance and just enjoy it from afar as a fan and, Every now and then, check in on the coaches, and but I'm excited for this year. Yeah, you look at Kalani, you know, at BYU, we know because of missions and whatnot that it takes a while, and so he's going into his sixth season, and he's coming off a fantastic season, one of the better ones in program history, where a number of guys, for the first time and who knows how long, got to the NFL and are going to be on NFL rosters. How about just the state of the program in terms of what he's building? What's your assessment? They, the, the players have all bought in. They know Kalani loves them. And I, I love the saying that these, these players, they don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And so they know Kalani cares. They know his staff cares. And so these boys will, they'll, you know, they'll run through walls for him. And so that's, that's what your program wants. And so I, I think, you know, Kalani's building a great deal over there. And um, everyone's excited for this year. And, amazing schedule Tom has put together for them and so it'll be great to see what happens give me that saying one more time I don't think I've heard that before that was pretty smooth you just rattled that right off players don't care how much you know till they know how much you care and so they these again you can tell these coaches they love their players um same goes with the staff at the U you know, they they have coaches there that love their players. I know a lot of those guys personally, and, and they do. And these players feel it, and they know it. And so these players are willing to do, you know, football's not easy, but they're willing to do it because they know how much these coaches care about them. Yeah, when you look at Kalani, do you think that uh, that's, if you were to list his strong points, would you put that right at the top? Because you spend any time with the guy, and you feel like coming away with, man, he's really a great person. He's my, I'm his best friend. I mean, I don't know how many people are able to do that, but however he does it, he manages to make you feel like that. No, he's, Kalani's all love, but Kalani's also one of those Tongan nerds He's like this, he's so smart, and so as much as he comes across as you know he's loving, he's a fun guy. He is super smart, and so he can dissect a game, dissect a team, a player. I mean, just it's it was one of the coolest things sitting with him, watching film, and how he breaks down someone's hip and the way that you know they're burst. And but I mean, he knows the game. He knows the X's and O's, and and. BYU is very lucky to have him. So expect him to back up that 11-1 season with another big year? I'm hoping so. But, I mean, again, 
the weird shaped ball, so you never know which way the ball bounces. But he's got the players to do it. He's got the staff to do it. So um, I think they, they should have a special year. Everybody knows, Reno, that BYU doesn't pay what the going rate is as far as if you're successful as a head coach. So he put together the 11. And no, they don't. That's why I'm not there no more. <laughs> 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 True. <laughs> so it's terrible, but they do it for the love of the school, the love of the kids, and so they they don't. They absolutely don't. Right. <laughs> they right. need to do a better job of that. Well, okay, that's where I'm going with this because the fact is, if he goes out and has a big time season this year, I mean, he's such a charismatic, likable guy, and then he'll have a, a resume that can back it up, and we saw Mendenhall took off, and you know, for whatever reason, he can say what he wants, but he also received a massive amount of uh, money to go, you know, well over $3 million. He wasn't making anything close to that. You know Kalani, and you've known him very well for many, many years, better than us, and so if he puts together a good season, I think that some people are going to come calling. Uh, what do you think about his desire to, you know, he's a Utah County BYU guy, but at the same time, money talks. What do you think about that? He, you, you, I mean, you said it as if people aren't calling. Kalani loves BYU, but the, the reality is there comes a time, a point where BYU just needs to do what they can to keep him. I mean, they, they have the resources, like, it's just me to pay the guy to keep him here. But you're right. I mean, here, here's the funny thing. If BYU has so many of, what is it, the Pac-12 South, yeah. BYU could run the table on the Pac-12 South. I was just looking at the schedule the other day. They could essentially have more wins than any Pac-12 South team. <laughs> <laughs> if BYU runs the table on the Pac-12 South, and the Pac-12 South eat each other up, they could end the season with more Pac-12 South wins than any of the Pac-12 South teams. <laughs> so, uh, how ironic would that be? Right, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, BYU needs to, they need to do what they can to keep Kalani. And their staff, that's the problem. You're going to start losing more of their staff. Like, these guys are going to get picked off left and right, and it's all financially. People love Provo. People love to stay in BYU is a great school. It's the hardest school to be a coach, but it's a great school. It's a great, you know, Utah's a great place. So when you talk to your buddies, the coaches, can you give us any insight, any nuggets, things that are true about the team that maybe the coaches don't mind being out there, but they don't, they just can't have their name associated with it? Players who are going to be good, Position groups that are going to be really good. Um, I and it's just kind of a rule I have when I'm with the guys. I was with some of them just um, what Sunday. I don't talk football, and I had a buddy that came with me. Um, we were meeting up with them for this uh, Tree of Life tour in Highland, and I said, "You have one rule when we go here." I didn't tell him who we were meeting with, and I said, "You can't talk football." And he's like, oh, I won't. He's like, he's a big BYU, you know, been a booster forever. I was like, no talking football when we get to this place. And so I don't talk football when I'm around the coaches just because of this. You ask me something like this, then I have nothing to share because I don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well. And so I just have a rule with these guys. I don't talk football. You say BYU is the hardest place to coach. Why is that? 
you can't get, you know, free range of players that would want to come. The two years I was there, we had players that wanted to come and the school wouldn't let them in. Players that could have helped the program. And so, you know, we have a player that's playing on Sunday right now in the NFL. What it came, but he didn't want to cut his hair. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that any other of these big schools? Like we just, but it's all right. They know that, you know, these coaches know the challenges, but it's the hardest place to coach football. We will leave it there, Reno. We appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on with us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Always great talking to you. There's Reno Mai, former BYU Cougar, former Brighton Bengal, and a member of the Philadelphia Eagles for a while as well. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Riley Jensen, our college football insider, will join us next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time to welcome in Riley Jensen for his weekly visit, our college football insider and mental performance coach. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. DJ and PK just rolls off the tongue for like, what, 20 years now? How long have you guys been together? Oh, man. It'll be uh, longer than my first marriage. (laughs) Not true. (laughs) The uh, 20 years will be next April. Next April? 20 years. Wow. Where do they go? Where are we going, guys? Where are we going? Where are we celebrating? Cabo. (laughs) Live from Cabo. That's a great idea. Central time zone, so we'll get to sleep in an hour longer. Okay, good, because I was about to say, wait, what about Maui? You've been talking it up, and I haven't been to Maui yet. Yeah, but that's... Yeah, you, you don't do a morning way, show from Maui. Yeah, yeah, you're way out. <laughs> Three o'clock yeah, in the morning. Yeah. Hello. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wouldn't ruin your beach time, though, so you got that going for you. All right, Riley, as we get on the countdown here, a couple weeks out from the start of college football, the doldrums, we've learned as much as we're likely to learn. The coaches don't want to tell us much more because they got to keep secrets from – uh, whoever's prepping to play in week one, whether it's Weber State or Arizona or whatever. So I, I'm curious, what do you want to know? And what can't you know until the season starts? As an, as an ex-player who's connected to some of these staffs and might know a little something the average person doesn't, what do you want to know? Well, there's, there's a couple of things about this time of the year that, that, that are fun and then also just really hard to figure out. Number, number one... Like, I cannot stand when I start seeing stats from scrimmages from, like, fall scrimmages. <laughs> like, I, it means absolutely nothing. And, you know, they're all scripted and they're put into a different scenario. And I, I just, I hate it when I see some of those stats. But the thing that I think would be super interesting to know right now is when they're going full speed, who has changed their physicality? Who's changed their ability to, like, you know, to fill a gap 
and, and really wreak havoc in a gap? Or is there a nose guard or nose tackle from one of these teams that's just unbelievably dominant right now and he's putting centers like right on their butt like two yards into the backfield? Because those are the type of statistics that don't show up in, in any sort of stat line all year, but you can see it in a game. You can see how disruptive it is when a defensive lineman is dominant and, and just knocks guys back two, three yards, and running backs have to make a, you know, they have to change their direction early in their run, and then all of a sudden they're running for their lives and they're getting minus one yards or they're getting one yard. So I'm excited to see who that is. I think on the offensive side of the ball, I think the hardest thing. For me right now, when you're trying to figure out like what a quarterback can do, I think for years and years, the, the reason why a running quarterback was so hard to, to just kind of see what he can do is because so many times in practice, you're not live on a quarterback. And so it's kind of like, well, it seems like he would have made a good run there, but I don't know if he would have got out of that tackle. I don't know if he would have been able to make that run. And then if he's not as good a passer as the guy – that's competing with him, oftentimes in the past, the guy that was the better passer always got selected because you just can't really tell on whether this guy can run the ball or not. Now, we have a couple of guys out there that, who, who have game film, so you know some of it. But we don't know, for example, for example, has Romney increased his speed and athleticism, right? We don't know what some of these quarterbacks at the University of Utah and at Utah State with Logan Bonner, we, don't, we have some game film from him and we have some game film um, from the different quarterbacks, but you want to see, are they quicker? Are they faster? Can they make plays with their feet and can they throw the ball? And so that's what I'm excited to see. And that's what I'm excited to see. You know, does the athleticism of Logan Bonner at Arkansas State actually translate to the Mountain West Conference? Is he going to be able to do some of the same things, right? Um, you know, is, you know, when, when we're talking about Jaron Hall, is he going to be able to run and not get hurt? I mean, I think that's the biggest worry, right? I think we all know that he can throw the ball. We all know that he can run the ball. But can he do it in a smart a smart enough way that he's not getting injured early in the season where you have to, like, change things all up again? And so I'm excited to see some of these things. But from, from everything that I'm hearing and then everything that I'm seeing, I mean, and, and this happens every fall, but optimism is, is pretty high right now at a lot of different places. Yeah, it really is. There's no question about that. These quarterbacks, particularly at BYU and Utah, they have, the coaches have gone to great lengths to say it's a close battle and there's not a whole lot of uh, difference between one and two. They even had battles for three and four and all that stuff. So as far as the starter goes, with all that in mind, and they're not being literally live in the way that they will be in the first game, if you're a coach... How do you handle, since somebody is like the 1-1-A rather than a just drastic difference or gap between 1 and 2, and it's that close, right? How do you handle, say, when you get to the games, if the number one guy, there's a little bit of a struggle? When do you know to make a switch? Because it seems like, well, if they're that close and the other guy isn't getting it done, then I should go to the second guy because he was right there. But at the same time, you don't want to damage confidence. Yeah, so I, I'm not trying to bail on the question. I'll explain my answer. But the, but the answer is it depends, right? So you, if you've got two guys that you feel are very good and, you know, you, you know with Brewer and Rising at the, at, at the University of Utah, I think, 
people are feeling like you've got two good quarterbacks. With, with Jalen Hall and with Romney at BYU, you're feeling like you have for sure two good quarterbacks, right? I think the rope is, is a little shorter, right? Like, I, I just think it is. Now, what that means to each coordinator, what that means to each head coach is, is a little bit different. But I, but I will say this. The coaches that have been around for a while, and and Kalani's been around for a long time, um, Coach Kyle's been around for a long time, and then obviously their offensive coordinators with with Roderick and Ludwig have been around a long time. They, they understand at this point that the quarterback is a little bit of a rhythm position. And, um, you know, you want – you want your starting quarterback to be like like a starter in Major League Baseball, right? Like you want to be able to work through a couple of things before you, before you start messing around with his head and and pulling him out of the game and let him get into a rhythm because when they're in a rhythm, they're really 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 good. Now, you know you can work through some things if if you win games. If you lose games, that also is a, is another factor, right? Like. If your quarterback is struggling, but you're winning, and you still feel like he can be the guy, then you you can get away with some things. But if you're losing and you start the season 0 for three, and your quarterback hasn't been able to work through it, that might be the time that that, that you figure out how to pull the trigger and, and move to the next quarterback. But you, the rope is shorter when you have two quarterbacks, but it's longer than we would normally think. Okay, so it's weird you say that because as soon as you said 0-3, I thought BYU and Utah's hopes are so high. And the quarterback competition has been pumped up so much, presumably the backup is good, so there's no way they'll get that deep. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you're right, but I think it's going to be longer than what you – like. Like it would for sure be zero and two before a change, hmm. in my in my opinion. Like I I don't I can't even imagine that it wouldn't be at least two games. Like I just can't imagine a scenario as a as a coordinator, someone who's been a coordinator before. I can't imagine like going all the way through spring, all the way through fall camp, all the way through the summer, seeing all kinds of information and making such a bad choice that you need to make the change like after the first game. Like you just totally like blew it. Um, the, the only thing that I can see is if, like, you really didn't know. But if you really don't know, usually that means that both quarterbacks aren't performing high enough. And so you, you really hope that, you know, I, in, in all the quarterback competitions I was in, like, by now in fall camp, everybody knows who the guy is. Like, nobody's saying it, but everybody knows who the guy is. And they might be giving reps to the second guy just to get him ready for the season in case something happens. But everybody knows who the guy is right now, and everybody knows that, like, the week of, that that guy is going to get all the reps and he's going to get the opportunity to be successful. So um, it's it's interesting. I mean, the quarterback, quarterback position is really, really interesting, and it's more interesting now to me than it's ever been because the old offenses, you, you didn't get hurt as much as a quarterback. I mean, there was a lot that was done to protect you and keep you from getting injured, right? And now it's like... Nah, he's got to be able to run and throw, and and we got to be able to risk that. And you know what? If he gets hurt in the fifth game, then next man up. I mean, that's that's just kind of the attitude now. And so, these quarterbacks are are much more physically talented and much much better runners than than my era of quarterbacks were. And but but that also opens them up to to injury. And so these second string quarterbacks, these guys that are just right there. They got to stay ready because they're they're going to get a chance to play. 
How important do you think this is? This season is for Kalani Sataki. He had the great season, uh, but some people and a lot of people obviously knock it because of the schedule. And you can also argue, well, you know, the, you wait three or four years and you build guys up and they get experience, so you can. And just about any program at that level can have a good season, but it's important to have a program. And in order to have a program, you got to have successful seasons one after another, at least to one degree or another. So with that in mind, the importance of this season seems to me is pretty high. Yeah, I think I think it's important. I don't think – I mean, I certainly don't think he has to go 11-1 and one next year. No. I mean, I, I, I think there's going to be some pressure to play well in the big games or in the games that – that they feel like are a 50-50, uh, you know, to quote our friend Alema, right? Like 50-50 games. They got to play well. And if there's some blowouts here, that's that's cause for concern if there's a blowout. Um, it's, it, I always expect BYU to win a few of these big games because if, if, if you look at the history of BYU, even in years that you didn't think they were going to win, they go on the road, they beat Wisconsin, right? A couple of years ago, they had the big throw at the end. They beat Tennessee. Maybe you didn't think that they were going to win those games, and, and they come up with some wins. The problem is, is do they do they play well in the other big games? And you, typically, they'll play pretty well because they'll get up. But then they have to do what they're supposed to do in the games that they're supposed to win. Because you know, two years ago, or mm-hmm. I'm confused with COVID. It might have been three years ago when you go to Toledo and South Florida and, and you lay some eggs, man. It, it's not happiness, right? And even though you had a decent preseason, like those games were hurtful. And um, I think you've just got to be competitive in all these games. And then in the games that you think you're supposed to win, you got to go out and do what you're supposed to do. And if if they do that, I mean, it could be a really, really good season. Maybe not, maybe not as highly ranked and highly touted as last year, but you can feel really, really good about the momentum of the program if they put together a. I don't know, an eight, if they put together an 8-4 and four season, I mean, I think that's really positive momentum, right? So we're not hearing much, uh, pos- as much positivity or nearly as much positivity out of Utah State as we are to BYU and Utah. What kind of hopes you got for your alma mater? Well, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm not I, – I, I personally don't have, like, high expectations. I think the expectations up there are way higher than I have, right? Like, I'm, I'm watching them. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful, right? And I'm not saying because they don't have players, but it, it just takes a minute with a new coaching staff. But, man, there's a lot of positivity going on. There's a lot of optimism going on. That, you know, people talking about how fast the offense is and how they can throw it around and how some of these, you know, these portal transfers have made a real difference. And I just feel like, man, there's a lot more positivity and excitement about the program than I thought there would be. Um, I'm still going in just cautiously optimistic, but man, if they, if they pull off the, the optimism and the positivity that I'm feeling, then, then it's going to be a fun season. It's going to be a fun season to watch all three of those teams play in the state of Utah. Riley, as always, we appreciate the time and we will talk to you again next week. You guys are the best, man. Thanks for having me on. He's Riley Jensen, our college football insider. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way.